I haven't told my story in a while, but um, you know, I grew up in, I'm really grateful for the family that I grew up in. Um, I grew up in a home with parents that, um, that tried hard to lead us to Jesus. And uh, you know, they, uh, they worked hard at it. My, both my parents, you know, my mom comes from a, a family where there's a lot, of, like, a lot of leaders of churches, a lot of pastors, sort of just generations back. Um, but my dad, my dad kind of, um, he, he, he came to faith in Jesus at a younger age, but really hit him hard in college when he really, when he really like owned his faith. And so my parents got married and they just, it was one of their goals just to teach their kids about who Jesus was. And so I'm grateful that I grew up in a home that valued the Bible and that valued faith in Jesus. And so from an early age, you know, the Bible, um, I brought one of my, one of my newest, biggest Bibles. Um, thank you, Josh, for gifting me this Bible. It's a really awesome Bible. Um, it's a really generous gift. I grew up in a home where, where we had a lot of these and where it was uh, utilized. You know, my dad is one of those guys where we had a lot of family dinners, and at family dinner, we would do family devotions. So sometimes he'd pull out a Bible and read a passage and we'd talk about it, or sometimes he would be working through different books. Um, and so, again, I, you know, I couldn't be more grateful. I, uh, I, grew, I was one of those church kids where I was in church uh, at, a, at a just every, every Sunday. And one of my favorite times was in the summertime, we would do something called VBS. Anybody else do VBS, Vacation Bible School? Yeah. So even if you weren't like a Christian or in a Christian family when you were growing up, maybe, you even, maybe your parents took you to a VBS at some church in the neighborhood. But I have fond memories of VBS. And our VBSs were all about memorizing scripture. And so I've, I still have scriptures memorized um, that, uh, that I learned, that I memorized in those, those VBS environments. And um, we had tons of songs that we would sing. And we would have songs to sing about the Bible. We had this one that went, the B-I-B-L-E, yes. The book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. There you go. See, you guys went to VBS too. You guys know it. Um, and if you've never heard of that song, it's okay. You're in the right church. This is okay. Um, but you probably heard of this song. And the, how, do, how did you know when you were a kid that Jesus loves you? You know, it's Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know? For the Bible tells me so. And there's tons of other, uh, tons of other songs that we would sing just about just about the book here. And like I said, I'm grateful now, but I wasn't always. I wasn't always, grateful. I wasn't always grateful for the scriptures. And in fact, my relationship with the Bible has gone, has had some twists and turns and ups and downs, especially when I was in middle school and high school. Um, my, the, basically all of middle school and the first part of high school. I just, you know, I just wasn't into it. Church was something that I was like supposed to go to. And so I went. And even though I had great leaders and part of some great churches, I was just, I had a bad attitude, you know, about, about those things. I never wanted to sing, you know, I was like, singing is lame, you know, like, I don't want to do that. And then certainly reading the Bible was just sounded so, so boring to me. And, um, and even now, you know, and, and in this time, well, and then what happened to me is, is it was about my sophomore year in high school when I had some friends who went to a, a conference somewhere, like a, a Bible conference somewhere, church conference somewhere, and just their lives really got transformed. And, the, and because they were my friends and they came back really different, and it was, it was a huge thing in my life. It really inspired me to take my faith seriously. And it was it's weird, something shifted, where my ju the beginning of my junior year of high school, I, 
I was, every night, I was reading my Bible and just consuming chapters and like taking notes. And it was the weirdest thing because before that, like I didn't have any interest and suddenly I just can't get enough. And, and it was the first time in my life where I was reading the Bible because I wanted to, not because I was supposed to. And uh, those were awesome, awesome foundations. As I've gotten older though, there, it's been hot and it's been cold. Um, and I gotta be honest with you, the, my relationship with the Bible, now that I've been a, a pastor for as long as I have, it's kind of weird. It's weird because now, and if you've been to Bible college, you know, you, you can, you've experienced this. Like suddenly now sometimes the Bible is a means to an end or it can be for me, or I have to be very careful that it's not one. Because sometimes now when I read the Bible, now I'm kind of doing it because I'm trying to get a sermon ready. Because Sunday comes every week. It's nonstop. And so, so sometimes I find I'm reading the scripture, not for me, but to try to get stuff to give other people. And you guys have all heard about the starving baker, you know, where you're making bread for everybody else, but you're not consuming any, any of it yourself. It could be a very dangerous thing. And if you went to Bible college, maybe that's what you experienced too. The Bible, you had to write papers about it. You had to write all these books about it. And so it lost its, its meaning for you. And so, you know, I'm in a season where I have to work really hard to not read this for other people, where I have to read this first and foremost for myself. And so it's been our tradition here at Westside for the past four years, I would say. We always start off the year with just a few weeks on talking about the Bible itself. Because I figure if we're going to spend the whole rest of the year, every Sunday when we gather, just picking a passage of scripture and going through it, I feel like it's the perfect time at the beginning of the year to, 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 to pause and, and talk about, okay, what's the deal with this thing? Can I trust it? Um, is it, you know, is it, is it, how do I read it? You know, and, and so we, we've kind of, we've gone all sorts of directions and I've, I've had props up here on the stage and we've gone everywhere from like how, you know, how did it get translated to like how did it get passed down to us and um, we've done all sorts of things. But basically it's for two weeks we're, we're doing this sermon series, we're starting it called Reading the Bible Like a Boss, all right? It's this week and next week. And this week, this week I just want to try to do my best to just talk about the why and then next week I want to talk more about the how. Okay, this week's the why, next week's the how. Next week is gonna be much more practical, really practical. Just like some really, some like, some steps on, on you know, how we engage this. But um, t today, I want, uh, th there's three types of people in the room that I really wanna to talk to. My family, in my family, uh, Wednesday nights is a sacred night because that's when Survivor's on. And we're a Survivor family. And so that's one of our, like, our, like really our one family show besides The Mandalorian. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so we love Survivor. And one of the things that they have to do in Survivor all the time is they have to make fire. And making fire when you don't have all the tools, it could be hard. Starting a fire when you don't have all the right implements, it's hard work, right? I mean, sometimes you can't even do it sometimes because it's just a challenge. And so there's three types of people uh, in the room. I feel like, you know, when, when it comes to the Bible, there's people who, where you, you're just trying to get started. There's other people where you've started lots of times in the past, and so you need to be restarted. And then there's some people where you've already got a fire going, you just need to be restoked. 
And so uh, I, I bet all of us would land at some place in those three areas when it comes to our, our relationship with the Bible. So the first one is that, first of all, maybe you, are, maybe you just need to get started. Maybe for you, the Bible is just completely unfamiliar. Maybe you didn't grow up in a house where, where you interacted with this. Maybe just the story, it, just, it all just sounds so foreign to you. And somebody talks about Abraham and you're like, is that Abraham Lincoln he's talking about? Like, I don't know who Abraham is. And, you know, you get... It's all kind of like, you're not sure where the stories are. Listen, listen, here's the good news for you. This is the right church for you. I mean, I'm, you guys, know, if you've been around for a while, you know that I'm so committed to making sure that I just don't blaze into the scriptures without explaining it well first, because I just recognize there's tons of people who are part of our church where, you know, they're just, they just don't feel comfortable with it yet. And so we need to start from the beginning and that's okay. We all have to start at the beginning when it comes to the scriptures. And we want to be a church where that's okay to start at the beginning. In fact, you're welcome here. And we're going to just help explain things along the way. And so if you're getting started, I, I'm so glad you're here. This week and next week are going to be really, really helpful for you in understanding the scriptures. But maybe you need to be restarted. And maybe your relationship with the Bible has, is a little bit like a dysfunctional relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you've gotten together and broken up and then gotten together and then broken up and then gotten together and broken up again. And you know, you're looking at your Bible, sometimes you're opening it up and you're like, see something, I'm giving up on you. I'm sorry that I didn't get to you. Anywhere I would have followed you. But say something, I'm giving up on you. Right, come on. Thanks. I thought about singing a boys to men song because it also applies. I mean, some of you are just, this is your relationship with the Bible. It's gone up and down and up and down. And it's like, I tried and you know, why isn't it working out? And what's, is it me or is it you? You know, I mean, you're just asking those sort of questions or maybe you're, you, you started maybe when you were a kid, but then you started, maybe, maybe you got into high school or you got into college and you started saying, wait a minute talks about a guy getting swallowed by a fish. And can you really believe that? I mean, is, is that scientifically accurate? And then, you know, and then maybe you went to a college class and, you know, your professor just picked apart the whole thing and just, oh my gosh, it's just a bunch of myths. And you're like, oh yeah. And so maybe you got disillusioned with the Bible at some point in your life. It started hot, but then it got cold. And then maybe you just need it restarted again. So maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. Um, you could be there. Or maybe you treat the Bible like a lot of people treat their Bible with a little bit like the manual for your car. You know how often I read the manual for my car? Never. <laughs> Unless I'm desperate, right? Unless you're desperate. Unless you need something fixed. That's when, the only time you open up the manual for your car. And so for a lot of us, our relationship with the Bible is just when I'm desperate, I open it up. And when things are fine, you know, I, I don't need it. I don't know, maybe you need to be restarted. And then maybe you're here and there's already a fire burning. I don't have to convince you at all about why this, why the scripture is important, but you're in a place where maybe it's a new year. You need to be restoked and refocused perhaps, because isn't this true? I mean, this is kind of crazy that this can be true, but uh, isn't it true that you can know some Bible stories, but miss the story of the Bible? That's interesting, isn't it? You can know plenty of Bible stories, but you can miss the story of the Bible. And also you can know the Bible, but miss the gospel. You can know the Bible, but miss the whole story of what the, gospel, of what the message is, the good news in it. 
And so maybe, maybe you've got a fire burning, but maybe, maybe you, you need to be restoked and refocused. I don't know, but wherever you find yourself today, um, this week and next week, we just want to build some confidence in the scripture. Uh, first, some practicals. All right, just real quick, just some practicals. We'll get into big practicals next week. But first practical is Jesus didn't write the Bible. Okay? This is not a story of Jesus coming, you know, like, like looking at golden tablets and special glasses. That's the Mormons, okay? We're not the Mormons. This is not how the scriptures came to us. Um, Jesus didn't write the Bible for us. Um, here's kind of the or here's, here's the big look, and I put it in a, in a tiny paragraph for you so that I could just read it to make it clear. The, the scripture is this. The Bible is a library of books. Not just one book, it's a library of books written over a 1,500-year period with 44 different authors on three continents using history, law, hyperbole, metaphor, poetry, apocalyptic drama, prophecy, and eyewitness reporting, all for the purpose of creating a unified story that leads us to Jesus. That's what the scriptures are. That's what, that's what's, that's what we have um, in our Bibles. I want to read you a passage of scripture. It's really probably the, the most famous passage of scripture in the Bible that talks about itself. And it comes to us in these, in these letters that this older, wiser leader, Paul, is writing to a younger leader, Timothy. And picture it like a, like a Jedi, you know, Padawan, apprentice, you know, sort of a relationship where, where Paul is writing a letter to this young preacher, this young pastor who's leading a congregation. And Paul's just giving him, he's just encouraging him. He's saying, hey, watch out for this. Be careful about this. And in the third chapter of the second letter in the, in the book of Timothy in the New Testament, uh, Paul, he writes this to, to this young leader, Timothy. And it's just so rich. Here's what he says. It says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've, you've probably heard that passage before. And uh, a couple things we can pull out from it today. Uh, first, number one, consider the Bible's ability. Consider its ability. Verse 15 says, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, the purpose of the Scriptures isn't ultimately to make you smart or rich or to shield you from life's, all of life's calamities or to make you relevant or to get you a job or to get you married or to make you better than other people. The scripture doesn't tell us everything that we wish that it told us about everything, 
but it does, does tell us everything we need to know about the most important things. That's frustrating about the Bible, isn't it? I mean, we wish, we wish it told us. I mean, wouldn't it be so nice to just like open it to chapter four? Chapter four, finances. Thank you, God. This is the chapter on finances. Chapter six, singleness. Thank you, God. This is so helpful. Chapter nine, marriage, right? I mean, we just wish it was just all laid out for us, just told us all the stuff about everything. But the Bible is interested in not just giving us a bunch of knowledge and not just trying to, you know, just give us stuff in our lives, but the Bible is got a job to do. And the job is that it isn't designed to tell us everything about everything, but it does tell us everything we need to know about the most important thing. And it's something that nothing else can give us. It's something that Google can't give you if you search for it. It's something that Netflix can't stream to you or Hulu or, Go or Disney Plus or whatevs, all right? Whatever service you're using, they can't give it to you. No politician can promise it to you or give it to you. Apple can't innovate it for you. There's nowhere else that we can go to that's gonna give us what the scripture gives us. And what the scripture promises to give us is, is wisdom. To Remember what it says, it says it's able to make you wise for salvation. Wise for salvation. What does that mean? It means that the aim is that you might be wise enough. It's hoping to help make you wise enough to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Make you wise enough to not put your faith and hope in anything else that's just all of it's gonna let you down. But Jesus won't. And that's the goal of the scriptures, is to help point us in that direction. Only in scripture do we see the truth about who we are. Do we see the God that pursues and cares, a God that offers forgiveness of sins, a God that gives us a glimpse of the redemption of all of creation. Um, that's what the Bible does and nothing else can give it to us. That's its ability. Number two is this, consider the Bible's originality. In verse, chapter, uh, verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. When I mean originality, I don't mean like it's original, although it, it is original. What I mean by originality is, is its origins. Consider its origins. Verse six says, is that, six says that all scripture is God breathed. Another word that you could say that is inspired. Inspiration, that's what the word inspired means. It's, it's filled with life. And when Paul is writing to Timothy and he says that all scripture is God breathed, he wants us to, re, he wants us to be reminded of the very first uh, part of the scriptures. When God creates all things and God creates man from the dust. Remember this part? Creates man from the dust. And you know, there's, you know, it's, it's so, you know, like... What did it actually look like? I don't know. I mean, the, the Genesis 1, 2, and 3, they're so, it's history, but it's poetry at the same time. But what God does is, I love this picture of God getting down into the dust and breathing life into humanity, breathing his life. And so when Paul says that all scripture is God breathed, he wants us to get this picture of God just breathing into it. And so that just leaves us with the scripture that's, that's in this kind of odd tension because we just got through with Christmas, right? And Christmas, we talk about how Jesus is all God and all man. And those two things crammed into a person. How is that even possible? It's so hard to fathom. All God and all man, how do those two things work together? And the Bible is a little bit like that. It's, it's 
it's written by these particular people in a particular context with their particular personalities from their particular perspectives. And yet at the same time, through all of those things, God is inspiring those words, blowing into them. And so through the Bible, we have something uh, that is unlike any of your other books. You might have some books that are inspiring. I've read some inspiring books. I hope you read some inspiring books in 2020. But the Bible is making this incredible claim that it's not just an inspiring book. Oh no, it's way more than that. It's way better than that. It's not just inspiring, it's inspired. It's inspired by God himself. That's a pretty incredible claim. And this is a stumbling block for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of questions surrounding the Bible, aren't there? And it's okay to have questions about the Bible. I mean, how in the world can this be inspired? And like, isn't there like, hasn't it gone through tons of translations? And like, you know, don't Christians just like pick and choose, you know, which parts of it they want to they follow? And, you know, like, and hasn't it been like twisted and morphed through the centuries? I mean, there's a lot of people with lots of skepticism surrounding the scriptures. But the Bible makes this incredible claim that it's inspired. Now, you might be able to say, yeah, but can't anybody just write a book and just say it's inspired? I mean, can, couldn't anybody do that? Can't somebody just write a book and say, yeah, God told me, and God's, you know, this is inspired by God. And the answer is, sure, you can totally do that. In fact, lots of other religions have their scriptures where that's their claim as well, that it's inspired. But certainly any one of us could write a book and call it inspired, right? Like Ron, you could write the, the book of Ron, right? <laughs> That would be an amazing book, I bet. The book of Ron. And, and Ron could say, yes, this is inspired by God. This is, this is, this is God-inspired. You, you could totally say that, Ron, but it's, we're all going to see through it eventually, right? It's not going to last long. It might be a great book. It might be an inspiring book. But we're going to be able to sense, you know, in, in, in not too much time that it's not inspired. But there's something about this book that makes this claim that there is no other book out there that matches its continuity and consistency. There's no other book out there that matches its honesty. There's no other book out there that matches its circulation. There's no other book out there that matches its survival through history and time and culture and place. I mean, you take it anywhere and it transforms lives. You take it anywhere and it sparks controversy. I mean, guys, there's still places on this planet where this book is outlawed. You are not allowed to have it. In fact, in China, you're still not allowed to have it. The ironic thing is guess where most of our Bibles are printed? <laughs> it's just weird, all right? It's just weird. It's just an incredible book. I mean, even if you're a skeptic, you just have to acknowledge there's something going on here that's just so different and so interesting. It influences and changes lives with this incredible power. David Guzik says this. He says, every generation gives rise to those who really believe that they will put the last nails in the coffin that will bury the Bible. Yet, it never, never works. The Bible outlives and outworks and outinfluences all of its critics. It is an anvil that has worn out many, many hammers. Love that. Number three is this. Consider the Bible's practicality. Consider its practicality. Verses 16 and 17 says, you know, it's, it's helping make you wise for salvation. And what is it? It's useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the, sermon, uh, the servant of God may win tons of Bible trivia games. Is it designed just, you know, where we, so it's, what is it, so to know some Bible knowledge, 
No, Bible knowledge is great, but that's not its goal. You notice its goal? It's so practical. The goal is to equip, to equip, thoroughly equip um, the sermon of God for every, every good work. Um, it's just incredible, guys. It cuts and comforts. It convicts and consoles. It gets you coming and going. It stops us and it propels us forward. You can't hide from it. It tells us the truth and it gives us grace. And it's exactly what we need. It's exactly what we need. Number four is this. Consider the Bible's improbability. Improbability. Um, have you ever gotten the silent treatment from someone? Have you ever given the silent treatment to someone? Never. Of course you have. When you've gotten the silent treatment from someone, especially someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone that's close to you, it hurts, doesn't it? I mean, there's not a lot of things worse than the silent treatment. You're trying to initiate a conversation and they just cut you off. Over Christmas time, I was trying to explain to my parents what ghosting was because I, I just learned what ghosting was. But, you know, it's, it's like online when you're in a conversation with someone through social media or whatever and, you know, and you're like engaging and then you just, you just one party just cuts it off and then you just, you know, you can't get a hold of that person anymore. They just kind of stop all communication with you. Um, we've, we've had that happen to us. It doesn't feel good, right? In fact, psychologists have, have done studies on this, literally, where they've, they've looked at parts of your brain that are the same parts of your brain that, um, that are fired up when you experience uh, somebody cutting you out of their life are the same parts of your brain that are fired up when you experience physical pain. Those are the same, it's, it registers in the same way. So the silent treatment is hard. It's hard for us. And so, therefore, one of my favorite parts of the Bible, honestly, guys, one of my favorite parts is when everything seems to be crashing down in Genesis chapter 3, where God says, Adam, Eve, humanity, I love you, trust me. And they decide to, to disobey. They, just to, they decide to say, God, listen, thanks for, for, you know, being you, but listen, we want to be our own gods. Thank you very much. And they just, they rebel against him. Listen, God in, in Genesis 3 had every right and every reason and would have been in the right to just cut us out, just to give us the silent treatment. He, he totally could have done that. But you know what God does? God comes and walks in the cool of the garden and calls out their name. Hey, guys, where are you? I'm here. I love you. Can we have a conversation? Isn't that incredible? We should just always be humbled by the fact that our creator who made us wanted to have a relationship with his creation. That's incredible. And we should also be humbled that God didn't cut us out and didn't give us the silent treatment, but he pursued us, that he got down into the mud with us and he pursued a conversation with rebels. He wanted to bring the rebels like us in. That's incredible to me. The Bible, therefore, is not just a list of rules to try to like get God to come to you. Listen, he's already come to us. The Bible is this epic story of a God who is so committed to your joy, more committed to your joy than even you are, more committed to your joy than you can possibly fathom. That's the story of the scriptures. This is what... Um, uh, one commentator said, he said, given that we're not only creatures of the dust, 
but also traitors against heaven's throne. The talkativeness of God is astounding. He wouldn't have, uh, he would have been entirely right to leave us to ourselves, sunk in an ocean of ignorance since we're creatures and guilt since we're sinners, but he didn't. He peeled back the curtain and then opened his holy mouth. Any authentic knowledge of God hinges on his generous self-disclosure to us. Not only his words, can, uh, can we, uh, only through his words, sorry, rather, can we discover who he is, what he is like, what he's after, and how we can know him. This ought to humble us deeply. The Bible you possess is evidence that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. No matter who you are or how many times you've spurned his love, he is still moving towards you, still talking to you, and still befriending you through your Bible. That's a pretty incredible thought. Um, its ability, its originality, its improbability. I can't remember what my third point was, whatever. Thank you. Um, here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing is we have in 2020, we have more access to the Bible than humans have ever had in history. We have more versions of the Bible than anybody's ever had in history. We have more accurate, accurate translations than, than you know, anyone's had besides the, besides the originals. I mean, we have, we have, and not only do we have the kind of access on every bookshelf and every bookstore and in every hotel room and in most people's homes where we have several of these, where now we have these crazy phones where you can press a button and it's just right there at a moment's notice. We have more access than anybody's ever had in history. And here's the ironic thing. We have never been more unappreciative. We've never been more apathetic and we've never been more indifferent towards it than we are today. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, many of us Christians, we tend to be really malnourished when it comes to the Bible because here's what we've done often. And, uh, you know, I'm guilty of this. We kind of all are probably, but um, is instead of reading the Bible for ourselves and depending on being self-feeders, we depend on weekly sermons to give us the scriptures. Guys, I hope the weekly sermons are good. All right. I work hard on them. I try to just pack in as, try to utilize my time as best I can. I hope it's as helpful as I can. I hope it's biblical as I can. But my Sunday sermons are not enough. They're not enough. To make, us, to make us be shaped and formed into the image of Christ by becoming people of the word. It's not enough. And let's be honest, most of us aren't here every week. It's every other week or most of us, it's every three weeks. Every three weeks, getting a dose of the scripture is not enough. It's not enough. So no wonder, no wonder it's just the Bible seems so foreign to us. No wonder it's so hard for us to start or to restart. Last, last quote is from D.A. Carson. Really great theologian. Here's what he says. I'll have it up on the screen. He says, the challenge of reading the Bible has become increasingly severe in recent years, owing to several factors. All of us must confront the regular sins of laziness or lack of discipline, sins of the flesh and of the pride of life. But there are additional pressures. The sheer pace of life affords us many excuses for sacrificing the important on the altar of the urgent. Totally. And he goes on. He says, the constant sensory in input from all sides is gently addictive. We become used to being entertained and diverted, and it's difficult to carve out the space and silence necessary for serious and thoughtful reading of Scripture. 
More seriously yet, the rising biblical illiteracy in, in Western culture means that the Bible is increasingly a closed book, even to many Christians. As the culture drifts away from its former rootedness in Judeo-Christian understanding of God, history, truth, right and wrong, purpose, judgment, forgiveness, and community, so the Bible seems stranger and stranger. For precisely the same reason, it becomes all the more urgent to read it and to reread it so that, at, so that at least confessing Christians preserve the heritage and outlook of a mind shaped and informed by the Holy Scriptures. Guys, this is not a sermon series about guilt because a lot of us feel guilty about not reading this. I talk to a lot of people and it's just like, man, I know, I just should read it. And I, can I just tell you, hey guys, it's a new year. It's a new year. I don't know where you're at. I don't know, maybe, maybe this is the, this, you, you're just, you don't know where to start. Maybe this is the start for you. This is the beginning for you. Maybe you've gone up and down with this, but maybe this is the time you're gonna restart it. It's gonna be different this time. Maybe you're just gonna be surrounded with the right community this time. Maybe this is, the, this is the year. So whatever's happened in the past, whatever, let's start fresh with this because this is our life. This points us to Jesus and it's the thing we need desperate, more desperate than anything else and nothing else will give it to you. Only the scripture will do that for you. And, weekly, and sermons aren't enough. They're just not enough. So we have to be self-feeders. So here's how we can help, all right? I wanna help you. I wanna help me, all right? And I wanna help you. So in just a few weeks' time, we're starting a bunch of small groups. Do you know, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of us here, you had a hard time reading this by yourself. I mean, some of you are so good at it. I'm jealous, you know. Some of you are so, I mean, you're just, you've got the time carved out. You do it in the morning, you do it at night, you do it during your lunch break. I don't know. But you're just like, you read it on your own and you processing and you're like taking notes. We're going to talk more about that next week and how to do that. But you're so, I love that. That's such a great discipline. For a lot of us, though, we tried that on our own and it was just hard. We just didn't know what to do or what to say or what to write. And so we just kind of gave up until you joined some sort of a group. You joined some sort of a group where you were interacting with the scripture together. Maybe it was like a journaling group in the morning or, you know, if you, a soap group, you know, you know, whatever. I'll explain that next week. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, you, and suddenly the scripture just came alive for you. That's a lot of our stories, isn't it? I mean, suddenly now you're with a group of people and the Bible is read best with, in community with other people. And suddenly it started to come alive. And so we want to help you with that. Okay, so we have some groups that are going to be launching. There's two kinds of groups that we have. The first kind of group, we're going to have about five or six or seven uh, of weekly um, small groups that are going to meet in people's homes. It's going, to, it's going to be dinner. It's going to be hanging out, getting to know one another. And then it's going to be sermon discussion based. So in a few weeks time, I'm going to start a new sermon series. And it's going to take us, it's going to be 10 weeks long. It's going to take us all the way to Easter. Spring is right around the corner, everybody, by the way. It's so exciting. Okay. I needed an amen somewhere in my, I feel like I was deficient of amen. So I needed something. It's going to be eight, it's going to be 10 weeks. It's going to take us right to Easter. And these small groups are going to have a beginning in a few weeks and then an end right at, right before Easter. So you're not signing up. You're not signing away your whole year. I hope that those, some of these groups become so tight and so fun that you don't want to stop. You're just going to keep going. We've had, we've had some groups that have done that. I love it when that happens, but that's not the expectation. 
We just want to get you in a group. We're going to be, they're going to be talking about the, the content of those, those sermons. And it's going to be a great place to have questions and talk about the scripture and what's the big picture and where do we find ourselves in it. Guys, the scripture can come alive for you. Get in a group. That's the first kind of a group. The next kind of a group is a crazy group. And I hope some of you are just, just bold enough to give it a try. But Sarah Creighton has led this group a couple, a couple times in the past, but it's this crazy challenge of reading the whole Bible in 90 days. Reading the Bible in 90 days. It means that there's a reading, reading plan. Every day you've got to read a certain amount. And if you don't read that certain amount, you have to read like double the next day. And then you just get like bulldozed over. And you know, so you have to be on it. It's like a, it's a commitment. But every day there's a certain amount of chapters that you read and then every week you get together and you talk about it. You watch a little video that helps explain those chapters that you read. And in 90 days you've read the whole thing. You know what's cool about doing that, by the way? It's really, it's really a trip. It's so cool. Normally when we read the Bible, we read it in tiny chunks, you know? And even sermons on Sunday are kind of like tiny chunks. And so, you know, it's like, okay, how does that connect with that? And I don't know, I think I read that one time. And like, oh, I remember that story. But it's crazy. When you read the, through the Bible in 90 days, like everything, like you're reading something and it's like, oh, that's referring to that. Oh, because I just read that like four days ago. I mean, everything's like so fresh. And you start to see all the crazy connections that you've never seen before. And suddenly you see this unified, this unified book that you've never seen because it's always been piecemeal, cut into little sections. For those of you that are, that are bold enough, maybe you want to be in that read the Bible in 90 days group. Be a really, really cool thing. We also have, you know, you know what else? There's always a group that runs uh, the, for guys at the Muffin Mill every Wednesday morning at, what is it? Is it where's John? Is it, is it 6.30 still? 6.30 at the Muffin Mill. Just a group of guys get together. Hey, what are we reading today? We read it, talk about it, head off to work right after. That's always going on. Guys, there's some group options. We want to help. I want to help. I want to help you start. I want to help you restart. I just want to help stoke the fire. Come back next week because we're going to talk about some practicals. How do we do that? How do we do this well? Maybe you need a refresher or maybe you just need to start from the beginning. I don't know. But this is the right place for you.